Welcome, friends. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences, the weekly podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening to Guadalupe Radio Network at 11 a.m. on Fridays. And if not, you're listening for free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. Today, I have, uh, we're doing um, our podcast, our radio show. It's just me, your host, Dr. Gracie Christie of the Catholic Association, and my colleague, Ashley McGuire, who is joining me on the phone. This, this is a bi- almost bi-coastal podcast. I'm in Miami, and she's in Colorado, which is not the coast, right? <laughs> it's the middle of the country. <laughs> a little ways away, but... <laughs> it feels like the other end of the world. So it's she's in Colorado. Yes. And uh, so we wanted to talk to, we wanted to talk about uh, something that just happened, um, which, well, just happened a couple weeks ago, but I think this is a really interesting uh, development in the history of abortion um, policy and the way a big abortion moves in the United States, right? Which has everything to do with Planned Parenthood. So what's happened recently is that Dr. Liana Wen, the president of Planned Parenthood, the woman who's been president for the last eight or nine months was summarily uh, ejected from her position, um, sort of uh, on a uh, suddenly, right? It was a sudden thing, and it was a rather shocking. They, I think they, I know they've invested very heavily in uh, Dr. Wen, and uh, I, I think she was having an impact. I think she was moving the ball forward uh, as far as uh, abortion in the United States, abortion, abortion uh, activism in the United States. But anyway, she's she's gone now, and um, this says a lot. We believe, Ashley and I believe, the Catholic Association believes about uh, a big abortion in the United States, what their aims are, and what they're looking forward to in the future. What do you think, Ashley? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody was shocked on both sides of the issue um, by the abruptness of her firing, Mm -hmm. um, A, and then B, the way that she kind of came out uh, or sort of went down firing, if you will. I mean, she tried to uh, straddle the fence and say, I still love Planned Parenthood, I still believe in the organization, but she was also critical. She wrote a piece in the Sunday edition of the New York Times, and her, um, her criticism was that she wanted to make Planned Parenthood um, actually, be a women's health organization. Mm-hmm. And a little and background. She was a little background on that for our listeners is that she was a, a real physician, a treating physician, and an emergency, mm-hmm. an emergency room physician. Uh, and this is something that in Planned Parenthood hasn't happened for many, many decades. That you have an actual physician heading the organization. Usually, for the last few decades, it's been you know a political person like Cecile Richards or someone like that. Right. And she, you know, I think the fact that she was young, I think they were, they viewed her as a major investment to Mm -hmm. sort of move uh, the organization in a new direction. And they probably envisioned her being there for a really long time. Um, The problem is that she uh, did not prioritize enough abortion activism and her hiring coincided with this sort of tidal wave of Uh, state laws, um, which have been passed largely in the wake of the sort of reshaping of the Supreme Court and a general nationwide um, sense that we may be on the precipice of Roe v. Wade being overturned. So states started passing 
um, bills left and right, basically limiting or, or eliminating abortion. And then you have the Trump administration really getting aggressive about its pro-life policies. And I really think the thing, um, the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, was um, the Ninth Circuit Court in, uh, out in California upholding the Trump administration's new regulation, um, basically saying that they're going to enforce uh, the rule that if you are an abortion clinic and you receive or, or a women's health clinic and you receive taxpayer funding, um, none for, of that for contraceptive, are you, way... ta- are you talking about Title Title 10? If you're receiving con- yes, money for right. contraception, right? That uh, that our government right. funds family rather planning. heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're a women's family planning um, center, um, most of them, you know, or many of them do abortions, but many, many of them don't. Um, and they basically said, you've got to separate this out. You have to have separate facilities, separate banking accounts, so that taxpayer dollars are in no way um paying for or even subsidizing abortions. And this and, and this, this is a big huge, blow for, for Planned Parenthood, huge. right? I mean, it's a tens of millions of dollars blow, probably the biggest blow Planned Parenthood has ever received. And I think that they were expecting, like so many other laws, that it would be overturned in the courts. Mm-hmm. And so as I wrote in my USA Today article on this, um, I don't think it was coincidental that that ruling came down, and the next day she was fired. And I bet you they had an emergency secret board meeting. She said in a tweet that she they said had that a she did say that. Meeting. Yeah, but and that's I bet you, they you know to set the board, the, and they were like, "Go mm-hmm. ahead." No, but to set the table for our listeners who may not be a who may not know um, all the background, um, what Leah, what Doctor Wen was doing, and I personally, I think you also are of the opinion, Ashley, is that she was being quite successful in um, presenting Planned Parenthood clinics as primary health uh, providers for women uh, of lower, you know, of lower income, of the lower incomes in the United States, right? And, and she had this, mm-hmm. um, she, she, she had a constant media presence talking about Planned Parenthood as not just a place where you, you know, you sort of skulk in, we're hoping nobody can see you to get your, you know, in, in some dingy office in the worst part of town, right? They always are like that. Uh, to get an abortion, uh, but a place where a woman, you know, could go and, and receive other kinds of care, which really that's not what Planned Parenthood does. We know they do mostly abortion. Um, but she really had an effect, I think, in the country. Uh, in, she was really pushing this idea that a, a woman uh, could receive. She didn't actually ever come out and say it <laughs> because it would have been untrue, but I think she really had people thinking that if you were a diabetic woman, maybe Planned Parenthood is a place you could go and get some diabetic care. Or if you were worried about having a breast cancer, that's a place that you could get a mammogram. You know, she didn't say you could get a mammogram because they don't do them, but she was really, I think, pretty successful in building Planned Parenthood as a primary care provider. Yeah, or at least <clears throat> the facade. But what was what was clear, what she made clear, is that she wanted it to be more than a facade. Exactly. More than just a PR stunt. That's and right. Um, I think that she probably pretty quickly realized um, that, you know, what they actually meant was just make Planned Parenthood look like it's a place where women can go for these things. Don't actually spend the resources and divert money and, and staff away from the thing that we're really about, which is not just providing abortion, but being a sort of political machine mm-hmm. that advocates for abortion laws. 
And, and, you know, for, again, tax, I think and for tax payouts, right? Like uh, advocating all the time right. for more tax and more tax money for abortion. And, and the, to remind our listeners, Planned Parenthood gets over $500 million a year in federal and state tax subsidies from us, from American citizens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, you yeah, say in your so, piece, you know, Ashley, you mentioned in your piece, and it, and it made an impression on me, you say, I found myself admiring when for what is clearly a genuine commitment to providing care and treatment to women as a whole. So I think what you're saying, and I, and I, and I believe it, is that she really did believe that women, that Planned Parenthood could have a role or should have a role in the primary care of, of women of, of lower income. Yeah, it's funny. Like Leanna Wen, I, I I got the vibe from her that she's the kind of pro-choice person I could be friends with. Mm-hmm. You know that she wasn't like a dogmatic extremist. That she she and I would disagree about the morality of abortion mm-hmm. and whether or not it has a rightful place. You know, in the category of quote unquote women's health. However, yeah, I mean, I think the things she was trying to do were really interesting. Like she wanted to offer on-site counseling for women dealing with um, prenatal and postpartum anxiety and depression. That's right. Um, she, did. she wanted to offer addiction treatment or, you know, um, treatment and care for pregnant women struggling with addiction, which is a huge problem in this country. Um, and those are things, you know, I just, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think she really was the real deal. And I sort of admire that she was clearly not willing to go along with and let herself be used, her credentials, her career, everything she had built for Planned Parenthood's PR gimmick, um, and that she was willing to sort of speak the truth on her way out the door. I mean, I suspect she is enemy number one right now in the pro-choice movement because of the way that she sort of lifted the lid on what their priorities are about. And I admire that sort of... um, philosophical conviction and and consistency. I also felt, Ashley, when she was brought on board, I, I also felt an affinity for her. I mean, she's a she's a minority woman like me and a doctor like me and a mother of a family. And, and I did also sense from her that she was sincerely interested in the health of women, which is not something I've sensed from anyone, from any other big figures at Planned Parenthood over the last few years when I've been paying attention. Uh, so she, I, th- I think she did have a sincere interest in, in promoting women's health, and, in, and and she was brave. She was very brave to walk away, or uh, maybe, okay, maybe she didn't walk away, but she was very brave the way that, that she left because she, um, I'm sure, is, has burned many bridges with uh, what is mm-hmm. a very, very powerful <laughs> abortion advocacy and abortion lobby in the United States, which is led by you know Planned Parenthood and, and their allies. You know, speaking of bravery, another thing that she did shortly before she got fired that I thought was really interesting, and I read in one of the articles, I think it was in the New York Times, about the sort of shenanigans leading up to her being fired, was she wrote a piece, I think it was for the Washington Post, about her miscarriage, and that that really ruffled feathers and upset people at Planned Parenthood, um, because I, I genuinely believe that there is a sort of concern among the pro-choice lobby that, you know, the, the, the sort of growing openness about miscarriage sort of undermines abortion. Why? Why, why do you think it, it, it undermines it? One, it sort of shows that there's a natural 
human grief that a mother feels at the loss of her unborn child. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's something that, that if, of, that's something that abortion activists don't. They really don't. They want to minimize that that human connection between mother and child, right? Totally. Everything they can do, they want it to be a clump of cells. You shouldn't feel anything by you know destroying it, eliminating it, terminating it, whatever euphemistic terms. But the sort of opposite is happening when you have people like her or Meghan McCain writing articles talking about the profound sadness and grief they feel. It's almost almost inexplicable grief they feel at the loss, sometimes so early that it's, you know, they don't even um, really get to see the child. Um, anyway, so I, I thought that was interesting, too, that she apparently didn't tell anybody she was going to do this, wrote this piece for the Washington Post about um, the sadness that she felt. Now, she said that it, you know, it only increased her commitment to abortion care, but it did sort of put a little chink in the armor of Planned Parenthood when you have their, the face of their organization saying that she felt grief and sadness at the loss of her own unborn child. Well, she was injecting some humanity and subtlety into this, um, into the pro-choice side, right, into the pro-abortion side, saying, well, yes, Women, well, I'm rephrasing what they might say, right? Someone who's being subtle on the pro-abortion side, they say, well, yes, some women, well, women ought to have the ability to terminate their their unborn children. And at the same time, women make connections with those children. They have hopes and dreams associated with the pregnancy that then they have to grieve, right? These are terrible griefs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and whether or not you terminated on purpose or it was a spontaneous abortion, um, these these are griefs that women and their fathers too, right? Fathers of the babies and the and the remainder of the family they they are missing a human being in their lives, and this is a very real mm-hmm. grief that women experience and their families. Right. You know, and and I love no, absolutely. And and the yes, and I I also felt when I read that piece about her her miscarriage. I also felt the I I understood Planned Parenthood side as well because it is it is quite. Uh, it, it 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 makes it very apparent, no? Because if you're, the, I I tweeted about it. I I spent a lot of time tweeting to Leanne, uh, Doctor Wen. I'm not doing it anymore, but I wanted, as a doctor, speaking to another doctor and saying, "Look, you are mm-hmm. obviously a woman who cares. You're obviously a mother, a, a woman who knows how to love. This is not the job for you, right?" And so she writes this piece on miscarriage, and of course, I'm thinking. Wow. So a spontaneous termination, a spontaneous abortion is, is a grief. Well, all the, you know, the forceful terminations are also great griefs. Right. Yeah, no, I, um, I think she's a very sort of complex figure. And, you know, she really I, I unintentionally did a lot of damage, I think, to Planned Parenthood. I mean, I don't know how Planned Parenthood rehabilitates itself After out this. of this. Okay, um, so tell me, tell yeah, me, Ashley, you have you're very, you have a lot of insight into this. What? Imagine yourself. You're at the board of Planned Parenthood. You're in the secret meeting where they're gonna they're thinking of terminating Dr. Wen. What do you think the conversation is going on? Like, what's what's underlying all this? What what underlies this this ejection of Dr. Wen? Well. I mean, again, I really think it was sort of panic mode, like, okay, suddenly, not just tens of millions of dollars um, as a result of this this lawsuit coming down, um, but also their entire business model. I mean, 
they don't have any clinics where it's you have two separate buildings, one for the family planning and the other for the abortion services. Um, and so I think I think it was just sort of sheer, this is getting real. Um, Dr. Wen has got a vision that does not, um, you know, I think it was just all about dollars and cents. <laughs> and what about I the really fact? Do. What I about just, the fact that the Supreme Court is now leaning conservative and and hopefully pro life? And Roe v. Wade may may come to the chopping block. Do you think that this is something that the Planned Parenthood worries about at night? The board? Yeah. No. I mean, I think that when she was hired, it was right before a major shift in the ground in terms of. Um, you know, I think I can't remember the timing if she was hired before or after. I think it was after Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court. Um, but I think the sort of rapid acceleration of things um, after that made them realize we don't have the time to sort of play out her fantasy mm-hmm. to what we need if we're going to survive as basically a taxpayer funded abortion Ponzi scheme is somebody who's going to focus like a laser on keeping those pipelines, those financial pipelines open and pumping. And it's not enough. And it's not enough, is it, for the states like Vermont and uh, Rhode Island and all the other states that have strong strong pro-abortion governments uh, that have passed these these very, you know, radical abortion liberation laws. Uh, it's that's not enough for Planned Parenthood, right? They have to go to the. I mean, everything's about money, and and the federal money is uh, a huge is hugely at stake. I yeah, I think that you know at some point in the future, um, people will look back and regard Planned Parenthood as the largest taxpayer funded <clears throat> um, sort of Ponzi scheme, if you will, where you have they get half a billion dollars in taxpayer money which they turn around and use to aggressively lobby um, the voters to Mm -hmm. elect officials who they then lobby to protect a abortion, but also their Their money, their $500 million (laughs) pipeline. Our money. And they just, that's (laughs) that's their business model is to protect their taxpayer funded um, stream of revenue to continue aggressively lobbying for their stream of revenue. Yeah, you know, I can't really think of any other organization in the United States that has this kind of power, right, and this kind of arrangement with this kind of reach. No, and that's this really gets at the heart to me of what is so interesting about them firing Leanna Wen is that they have been trying so hard to sort of disguise or mask that reality that that is what they are and what they are about and nothing exposes that for what it is more than firing her so abruptly the way that they did so soon into her tenure and it makes me wonder if they're so blinded by I don't know greed and ideology that they're starting to make bad decisions that will lead to their own demise because I just think taxpayers one thing we know is they don't like taxpayer funding of abortions People still tend to support, you know, abortion in the abstract. You know, when you drill down on what kind and when, how far into the pregnancy, it gets a lot more nuanced. Um, But, you know, Americans are still a pretty, you know, pro-choice country. 
but they do not like taxpayer funding of abortion. And suddenly Planned Parenthood is the taxpayer funding of abortion emperor with no clothes. That's right. And, um, and, and really Americans feel, like you say, there's, it gets very, very complicated as the, abort, as the pregnancy goes on, right, at, the, at, the, at how far along a woman is and how people feel about abortion. But definitely people don't, necess- don't think in general that they ought to be paying for other people to have abortions. And, and this makes complete sense to me. I hate the thought of my money going to Planned Parenthood. It's a huge... I, I stay up at night worrying about that, Ashley. And, you know, Ashley, we have mm. to take a break. Um, so we will... This is uh, reminding our listeners. This is Conversations with Consequences. I'm your host, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm talking to our my colleague, Ashley McGuire, about Planned Parenthood's firing of their president, Dr. Liana Wen, and we will be... Right back to talk about this some more and about the the, further, the direction going forward of Planned Parenthood, at least what we think they're going to be doing. Welcome back, friends. I'm your host, Dr. Gracie Christie. I'm joined today by my colleague, Ashley McGuire. We are the Catholic Association, and this is our weekly radio show or podcast, please subscribe to Conversations with Consequences wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. So today we're talking about, we already talked in the first segment about Dr. Liana Wen's sudden ejection as president from Planned Parenthood. Um, She was only president for eight or nine months and she was trying, as we talked about in the first segment, she was trying to bring uh, a, a facade (laughs) <laughs> to Planned Parenthood, which is well known for its abortion clinics. She was trying to make them seem more like a place where a woman or a man um, or a whole family, I guess, would go for sort of primary medical care if they were low income. Um, and she, um, I think, was sort of successful in building this facade. And, and and we do believe that maybe she was trying to build a new Planned Parenthood where people could actually get health care. Um, but Planned Parenthood had other ideas and they got rid of her. So what do you think, Ashley, going forward, um, we have this, uh, we're, we're pretty sure, because Planned Parenthood has, has been very open about it, that they are going to drill down, uh, especially now that the elections are coming and the 2020 elections, and with, in light of everything that's happening in the state, so many states that are restricting abortion or, or putting in new regulations that make it harder uh, to, to get an abortion, um, that they are going to really focus on abortion on political abortion advocacy to maintain their their stream of income, which comes from us, from us taxpayers. Um, so, what do you think, Ashley? Do you think that this is going to be something that they're going to be very open about? They're gonna they're gonna find the new Cecile Richard, someone really tough and hard for uh, the top of of you know the top position at, at Planned Parenthood. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to predict, but I I do think that it's going to be a lot of fighting speak. You know, a lot of oh, you know, this is under attack and fight for uh, women's health. And, you know, I think it's just going to be a lot of... um, Women will die. Women will die. (laughs) Us versus them. Yes, exactly. Um, And, you know, that can be effective. um, But I think it's a short-term strategy. And, you know, I think what Leanna Wen was trying to do was a long-term strategy. Mm -hmm, And it, you know... It, it shows that they're not interested in a long-term strategy, whether that's because they're short-sighted or because they feel genuinely panicked about 
like that they're on the losing side. And, you know, we keep seeing these studies that are like, or these things can happen like, oh, more Americans than ever support abortion or Planned Parenthood. But when you drill down and look, A, whether it's, you know, you look at where people's support starts to taper off, it's shockingly early in the pregnancy, um, but also just sort of where the pulse of Americans <clears throat> is at. And what you're, what we're seeing happen in the States does not suggest that, you know, people are <laughs> trending in the pro-choice direction. You know what I think might be worrying Planned Parenthood also is the fact that the that chemical abortions are becoming more and more common. Every year there are more chemical abortions. Uh, you know the percentage of, of abortions being chemical goes up and up, right? I I don't know exactly what the I think maybe seventeen or twenty percent right now of of abortions are chemical, and um, this is not this this is something people are advocate. There's a lot of pro-abortion advocates that advocate that this should be completely unregulated. Um, that you can basically buy these online and do it. You can like watch a YouTube video, how to do your own home abortion, and do this online. So this is this goes. This also, I think, must be must feel dangerous to Planned Parenthood, whose business model is built on getting women into these clinics and charging them five hundred dollars, you know, for to start for their abortions and and having that as their big income stream, along with um, our tax monies, of course. But then I'm just speculating. I, I've never been to one of those board meetings. <laughs> I hope no one ever invites me. I would be a duck out of water. Uh, but I do, I do think that the, the business model of abortion is also changing with, with chemical abortion. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like cutting out the middleman. Planned Parenthood is the middleman. Right. We're um, going back, we're well, going back know, to your do-it-yourself um, abortions, which are dangerous. I, might, I, I need to say for our listeners, you know, the chemical abortions are dangerous. There have been at least... There have that been twenty four. So it's mm-hmm. twenty four deaths. Yeah, twenty four deaths since the year two thousand. This is these are the ones that are, uh, you know, cataloged by the the FDA. This right. is in, this is on their website, and that's why chemical abortion is a very heavily regulated drug. Mifepristone is a very heavily regulated drug because the FDA finds that that's the only way to allow it because it is very dangerous. If a woman has an ectopic pregnancy which means a pregnancy that is not inside the uterus where it's supposed to be, taking, um, you know, doing a medical abortion at home could kill her, very easily kill her. Hmm. And this is not something, wow. you know, this is before you take those pills, you need to know, a, a doctor needs to tell you that the, the baby's actually in the uterus because otherwise it, it can mean death for their mother. Well, and I will say that this is a little bit of the result of Planned Parenthood's own doing because they've been the ones you know, pushing and advocating for this idea that women should have unfettered access to any kind of abortion mm-hmm. um, and that nothing should stand in their way. And now it's like not even the doctor. And, you know, another thing that they're doing is lobbying in these states that are passing these incredibly permissive abortion laws, like allowing abortion up until the moment of birth, is also removing <clears throat> removing the requirement that it be a, a licensed medical doctor who performed the abortion. Isn't that so interesting? Like, Isn't that interesting that the whole purpose, right, of Planned Parenthood for so many decades was to supposedly, supposedly <laughs> save women, right? To say it because women are in danger, they're getting back alley abortions, they're using coat hangers, and we need to bring it into medical care. There's got to be a doctor present and a nurse and an anesthesiologist, and, and it's going to be perfectly safe. And then they switch gears rapidly, and 
then it was all about, and it is all about removing all these what they call barriers to access, but other people right, and they would, uh huh, and they would have called. They called for many decades uh, regulations that ensure women's safety, like making sure that you don't right. have you know some hack coming to your house and destroying you in the in, right. through your abortion. Well, you know, I've I've written about this in pieces, and you probably have too. That you know, for the longest time, the mantra of the pro-choice movement was safe, legal, and rare. And obviously rare is out the window because we have more than a million abortions a year in this country and people are now being encouraged to quote unquote shout their abortion Gosh, I hate that. parenthood PR campaign. Hate that. Hate um, but that. they're really chipping away at the at the safety component. I mean, starting with the whole women's health case in Texas where they argued that it was unconstitutional to require that an abortion clinic have the same safety standards as a tanning salon. Um, and now these pushes to I shouldn't you know, laugh. remove, make sure that, do, you know, licensed doctors aren't performing this invasive um, procedure, which they say is on par with, you know, dental work. Um, and, and, and now what you're talking about, the I mean, I've heard, <clears throat> I've heard about um, the installation of l- literally Plan B vending machines, which mm-hmm. is also an abortifacient. It's not as as strong as um as the the chemical the abortion. abortion pill but it is pretty um strong and intense and you know it's a huge dose of hormones and i just think well and think know, about it think about think about a young i always think about this uh when i when i hear about putting plan b in vending machines right that's been it's been floated in california i think mm-hmm. think of a 13 think of a 13 or 14 year old girl who's who's being you know, who's in a, in a in a horrible relationship with some older man, because you'd have to be an older man, right, when you're 13, um, taking, you know, maybe going by the vending machine every month. She could totally wreck herself. This is a very, it's very right. dangerous to put these things into the hands of people. We would never, you can't even get Tylenol from, I mean, it's so hard as a minor to get access to anything, except, you know, well, in this there's, scenario. There's no counseling there's no counseling about the long-term effects on your um, fertility, but I mean, I know somebody who regularly availed themselves of Plan B, and they had an extremely difficult time um, naturally conceiving as an adult. And it's like you're not thinking about this when you're 18, and you're taking these enormous doses of hormones and and chemicals. But when you're 28 and you're trying to have a baby, your body has been affected by those drugs. That's right. Everything there can, there can be nothing more or let I'm sorry there can be nothing less natural than inducing inducing a period. Um, this is what Plan B does. It induces a period out of your normal cycle, um, and probably people who do it don't do it once. They do it over and over and over again. I imagine. I don't know. I don't know the actual numbers on that, but I imagine if it's not something that happens one time in your life or twice in your life, if this is something you're you're going to do, you're probably going to do it again. But anyway, that's well, plan one B. thing that, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's interesting that um, there's been this emergence of other family planning clinics that are sort of an alternative to Planned Parenthood um, in that, A, they offer a much broader spectrum of health care for women. Um, they actually do provide things like ultrasounds. Um, but also they offer women sort of... Uh, they they help women make their sort of decisions, these sort of reproductive decisions in a 
broader context of who they are and what they want in life. You know, like, do you want to have children one day? Um, are you interested in a way to sort of manage your fertility without having to take um, hormones and drugs and chemicals um, that bring with them all sorts of health risks? Um, and one of them, a, a chain of these clinics out in California, just actually received um, the Title X funding that was diverted away from Planned Parenthood because they could Planned Parenthood couldn't um, uh, separate out their abortion work from their family planning work. Um, so the grant was given to these clinics, and I think it's such a um, sort of hopeful sign for the future. You know, I think about my own daughter, and I hope that she has access to resources like this where. Um, they a look at her as a, a woman as a whole, and not just like a, a way to make a buck off of um, doing something traumatizing yeah. to her. But but b helping her to understand how her body actually works and how to make um, you know these important decisions um, while respecting the sort of integrity of her body. You know that's a very good point because um, Planned Parenthood has a one size fits all model for American womanhood, doesn't it? It says uh, Start contracepting early <laughs> mm-hmm. before you even certainly before you get married, but you know much earlier. Uh, start contracepting early, contracept early, contracept often, and and it'll fail, and we'll be here for you, and and we will you know traumatize you through an abortion, something you'll you'll probably live to regret deeply, and then you'll be back next month, you know, to sort of repeat, wash and repeat. You know, I I read ultrasounds. Uh, one of the things I do as a radiologist is I read pelvic ultrasounds and and we always ask uh, the woman's history as far as pregnancies and births and terminations. And I, it's very sad for me. I see women who've had over a dozen terminations. And oh. yeah, it's a, I, I think my highest number I've seen is something like 18. And to me, it just, oh my gosh. right? It's, it's beyond shocking. And it, it stops my heart when I see something like that because I see each of those uh, episodes as really a, a, an abuse of the woman herself from mm-hmm. by by probably you know a spouse or a boyfriend or that that doesn't respect her and love her enough to to make her feel safe about bringing her child into the world um, and then from the abortionist the abortionist who then you know denied her that that great joy of her child. So it's wonderful to hear that there are that this money is being diverted um, through this through these changes by the Trump administration through the Title X uh, um, regulations, so that our tax monies that are meant for family planning clinics aren't being you know gobbled up by Planned Parenthood with their greedy greedy <laughs> maws that grab all the money in the world you know and then go out and abort American children. Well, and you know, I think that the bottom line message with the with the new regulation was that abortion is not family planning, and that's something Americans overwhelmingly agree with. Abortion is not family planning; it is something different. It is, as you said, it is something you do when your family planning has failed, and um, it's it's violent, it's traumatic, it's horrific, and so I really um, I I'm really excited to see a push to clinics that actually help women with family planning, starting with offering them 
alternatives to what the pharmaceutical industries are pushing on them, what, you know, as you say, Planned Parenthood is pushing on them. Planned Parenthood is known for um, pushing in communities types of contraception that fail um, so that then those people then become patients a second time over. Things like condoms that have a 20, 30% fail rate. Um, So, you know, women have the right. Yeah. Um, And so I think, and and of course these clinics are being attacked. There's been, uh, the Washington Post just came out a week or two ago with a extremely lengthy hit piece on these clinics and, you know, trying to say that what they're teaching is akin to the rhythm method of the, you know, and it's not, I mean, what we're talking about are, you know, apps that people use, people like myself um, use these apps that don't just help you either achieve a pregnancy or avoid a pregnancy, but also help you understand what's going on with your fertility. You know, why are you having these changes or these symptoms and helping you understand the way your hormones are affecting your whole body and your whole life. Um, But of course they're being attacked as being anti-scientific, which is so ironic because the reason that there's a, a, a shift away from the status quo and towards things like fertility awareness method these apps, these new clinics, is because women are so disenchanted with the sort of almost like pseudoscience of the old stuff. Like I said, like condoms or or or, or the methods that are just um, sort of dangerous and oppressive, like um, intrauterine devices that are you know leading to women having higher rates of ectopic pregnancies, um, ruptured uteruses. You know what I find um, so what I find so interesting about the the contraceptive culture, the contraceptive uh, mentality is that people who are very concerned, as they should be, with a natural lifestyle, right, of of ingesting things that are that are natural and healthy, and whether it's food or, uh, then they're also promoting and they also take on themselves the these hormonal interventions that last for decades. And completely, right. you know, completely disrupt the natural, healthy female cycle. And and for what? I no, mean, I, the I female think... cycle has times of fertility and times of not un- infertility, which which can be uh, harnessed, right? And, and used as a way yeah. to regulate our families. And this is something that we Catholics, we have access to this information uh, from when we do our, our pre-cana uh, uh, stuff before we get married and, and our parishes have uh, this information that we can access, right? At the archdiocese level, we know that these things exist. But for other Americans, other American women who want to lead healthy lifestyles and not do hormonal interventions, which have significant side effects and risks, then these clinics, like the ones we're talking about in California, O'Brien, right, they're called, um, they, um, they, they have this other way to access this wonderful information. Yeah, no, I I am a believer that um, they should that girls starting at you know age twelve should be taught um, you know the sort of fertility awareness method basics because um, women don't know how their bodies work and that's because women have been medicating away their natural reproductive functions um, for decades and so they don't even I mean I remember reading something where. Women couldn't even identify, these are adult women, on a chart, like their basic reproductive organs, um, let alone explain to you, you know, how the cycle works. You know, many women are under the impression that you can get pregnant at any time. And in fact, more and more women are starting to use um, 
the fertility awareness methods as a means to achieve pregnancy because it helps them educate themselves about uh, when they can get pregnant. And I think, you know, on the flip side of things, there's a real sort of um, growing problem with infertility in, in this country. Um, and, and, you know, we were talking earlier about miscarriages and how more and more women are speaking out about the grief they experience with miscarriage. But the same thing has been happening with um, with issues related to infertility. That's right. Um, that more and Very more common. women are speaking out about the fact that this is something that they struggle with. Um, and this is something where, you know, uh, a place like Planned Parenthood has absolutely nothing to offer because they're in the business of, and you know, ending fertility, not helping women achieve it. Well, and, all, you know, there, there's other ways Planned Parenthood ends fertility. Infertility has a lot to do. The way infertility presents itself has, uh, as, as women get older has a lot to do with having many, many sexual partners um, over the years, right? And then um, this causes scarring sort of low-level infection in the body, in the mm-hmm. in the fallopian tubes. This causes scarring. So women then in their late 30s get married, want to have babies, and it's not working. But so Planned Parenthood has a vested interest in uh, promoting, and it does this very avidly, promoting promiscuity among young people and these lifestyles where any sexual, um, any sexual thing goes. And um, it's really scary, actually. If you go on the Planned Parenthood website and you look for their the way their educational materials, what they call educational materials for young people, it's really all about like sex, often, early, and often. I mean, often, early, and and with anybody at all. And they, you know, they they put little quotations. They call it safe. But what's safe about young people having multiple sex partners? There's nothing safe about it. It's right. very dangerous. And one of the dangers is infertility. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of so that is Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood promotes promiscuity, and then reaps the benefits um, by having women come back and, and have to have abortions because, you know, suddenly they're facing life with a baby that they can't, they can't welcome into the world. But it's wonderful news. We're coming to the end of our segment time, Ashley, but it's wonderful news um, uh, that, uh, that Planned Parenthood, I think, through this process of ejecting Dr. Leanna Wen, has had to rip off its mask, right, and show exactly who they are and what they intend to do. Uh, which is to, you know, drive down, drill down on their abortion advocacy and in, and protect their income stream. Absolutely. So it's good. It's good to know what 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 people what people are looking what what people are actually meaning to do. It's good to have that information, especially as we go into um, the election and and everybody, you know, all our listeners and us, we we all have to be very knowledgeable about the people who are running for office and exactly where their allegiances lie. Do their allegiances lie with you know the real health of women and children and families or with the deep pockets of Planned Parenthood? No, no, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, the thing is that Planned Parenthood makes it pretty easy to know. <laughs> uh, they publish their own, their, their own, you know, the grades of candidates and they make it clear who they, who they support um, and who doesn't support them. You know, I suggest uh, any listener who's not that well informed about Planned Parenthood go on their website. They they're very they're very frank. They're very sincere about what they want for American men, women, and children. They 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 don't they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed <laughs> about what they want. They should be. They should be very ashamed. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining me from your vacation in Colorado to talk about uh, Dr. Liana Wen and her ejection from Planned Parenthood. And thank you to all our listeners for listening. 
Um, this is your weekly radio show or podcast from the Catholic Association. I'm Dr. Gracie Christie, your host. And again, I was joined by Ashley McGuire, my colleague at the Catholic Association. And uh, please subscribe. Uh, tell us if you like this uh, podcast. And we're, uh, we can, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And also at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with our TCA media clips and uh, Father Roger Landry's wonderful homily that he gives us once a week uh, to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, I've picked out just two articles, since our time is a little short, that, uh, that I thought were very interesting. The first one is from the Associated Press, uh, August 4th, and it's, uh, the title is Pope Encourages Priests Disheartened by Sex Abuse Fallout. And it's about the fact that Pope Francis, on Sunday, sent a new letter to priests worldwide offering encouragement in light of the global sex abuse scandal that has shaken the Roman Catholic Church. Don't you think, Ashley, that priests are really going <laughs> to... This is a great letter for priests to receive. I'm thinking of my own poor parish priests, who I know have suffered so much through all this. Yeah, you know, I think, I think priests, they're so often the demonized ones in all of this. But it's important to remember that the overwhelming majority of priests are good men who have given their life and service to the church, and that this is just as heartbreaking for them, and they need the encouragement of the church as much as the laity. Well, there was the letter was over 5,000 words, but Pope Francis, uh, this is a quote from the letter, um, he acknowledged the pain of priests who, quote, feel themselves attacked and blamed for crimes they did not commit. And frankly, when I look at uh, all these priests, I've known many, many priests over my life, and they've done tremendous things for me. I've never had any bad interaction with a priest in my since I was a little never that I can remember. Um, and I think how it must be horrible to be lumped in by people with, you know, men who have committed the most heinous of crimes, right, which is the abuse of a child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's a, I'm really glad that the Pope wrote that letter, and I hope it helps all our priests um, live with that great pain of, of having to be part of that group, right, that people find so... Mm rightfully disturbing. So anyway, the next article is Advocates Aim to Overturn Ban on Surrogacy, New York State Law Forbids Reproductive Practice. And this is from the Washington Times on August 1st. And to me, it was an interesting thing because we, we often talk about issues of reproduction and infertility and, you know, what's just and what isn't just. You know, personally, I find the whole idea of surrogacy completely unjust, that somebody with a means should rent the body of a woman who is doing this for money, usually because she has to, to give uh, somebody else a child. And to me, this is a heinous kind of abuse. You know, and it's so interesting because right now, um, the third season of The Handmaid's Tale is out. <laughs> and, you know, of course, that. people, oh, well, and it's all about surrogacy. Mm -hmm. um, and I did read case, the book. These it's women true. are four they're forced to be surrogates, but, you know, it's, it's a fine line between, you know, what, 
when something becomes allowed versus it becomes compulsive. And, and in The Handmaid's Tale, it is the sort of elite class that uses these women um, to bear their children. So it's the instrumentalization of women, the commodification of the female body for profit. It Full is. Stop. It is. And when you consider that uh, this is done transnationally, right? Internationally. So countries mm-hmm. where people are well off, they're going to other countries and renting women's bodies, instrumental- instrumentalizing their bodies, which I think is a terrible thing. I hope that New York State uh, is able to resist uh, the temptation to overturn their ban on surrogacy, which I think is very appropriate. So you'll find the links to our listeners. I, you'll find the links uh, to these clips um, in the podcast notes, and I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and the media clips at thecatholicassociation.org. And this week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry will give us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's Gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry, and do look up his daily homily, written in audio, on his website, catholicpreaching.com. Hi, everyone. This is Father Roger Landry, and let's turn together to the conversation with consequences Jesus wishes to have with us on Sunday. It's a very lengthy gospel in which he's going to focus on where our treasure is, because wherever our treasure is, our heart will be. And he wants us to examine that prayerfully with him so that hopefully our hearts will always be able to be lifted up to the Lord. Our hearts might always place their treasure in God. Jesus depicts with a series of images the life of faith as living each day as if we were living with him visibly at our side. He says that the faithful person is one whose heart desires the inexhaustible treasure of heaven, begins even now to seek to amass that treasure with money bags that don't wear out, using our lives and our belongings for others. He says that the faithful person is always ready for a journey with loins gird and the lamp of his heart burning with love awaiting the Lord, ready to open immediately when the Lord comes and knocks. We can think of waiting for someone we really love to arrive at the airport and how prompt we are to run to hug that person when the person finally shows. The faithful person, likewise, seeks always to be vigilant for the Lord's coming so that he may respond promptly when and however the Lord knocks on the door of his heart, maintaining this love, longing, and alertness, even if he should come in the middle of the night. The faithful disciple guards his heart, lest any intruders or thieves find ways to break in, Jesus says. The faithful disciple will always be found at work, being a trustworthy steward of the Lord's gifts, doing the Lord's work, even sleeping. In short, the faithful disciple acts in the Lord's supposed absence, just as if the Lord were physically and visibly present. Jesus promises that all such servants will be blessed. This is an incredible lesson for us about how to live the faith. One of the greatest principles of the early fathers of the desert, those Christian monks who went out to the desert to pray, was what they called anamnesis, literally unforgetting. They realized that one of the principal ways the devil seeks to attack our faith is by getting us to forget God's presence, because the evil one recognized that if we knew God were present, helping us, loving us, with us, few of us would ever choose against him. And so the first weapon in his arsenal is to get us to forget about God in day-to-day life so that the devil can tempt us in God's apparent absence. Jesus in today's gospel, in the gospel we will hear about on Sunday, describes what happens when we forget God. 
tells of a servant who says, my master is delayed in coming and then thinks he can do whatever he wants in the meantime. Begins to beat the servants, to pig out, to get smashed, to hurt others and live for his pleasures alone, abusing the talents and opportunities the Lord gave him. These are all behaviors he would never engage in if the master were there. Such a servant thinks that he'll have to change his behavior later, tidy things up later, to get his act together later before he has to render an account. Such a steward is plainly unfaithful, just as unfaithful as a husband or wife would be if they cheated on a spouse in that spouse's absence. Eventually, that unfaithful servant will be caught off guard, not because the master wants to ambush him or catch him red-handed, but because the more one gets used to thinking the return of the Lord won't occur today, the more one is not prepared to answer immediately the knock of the master, the less ready one will be on the day that the master comes. So it's key for us to make a practical application of what Jesus describes to us about how we live each day. Are we alert for his presence? Is the lamp of our heart burning? Are our loins girt to get him to lead us on a journey to deeper faith? Or do we forget about him most of the day, most of the week, in most of our life. So we prepare for that consequential conversation on Sunday. Let's ponder this. Just how aware am I of the Lord at my side right now as I listen to these words about which he will speak more in depth in a couple of days. God bless you all. Thank you so much, Father Landry, for our weekly treat. Unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye to all our listeners. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, which is a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your host, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I was joined today by my dear colleague, Ashley McGuire, and we were really glad to have you. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts, tell all your friends about us, and or join us next week on our radio show, 11 a.m. on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye.